a prayer before study. Ineffable creator, who from the treasures of your wisdom have established three hierarchies of angels, have arrayed them in marvelous order above the fiery heavens, and have marshaled the regions of the universe with such artful skill. You are proclaimed the true font of light and wisdom, and the primal origin raised high beyond all things. Pour forth a ray of your brightness into the darkened places of my mind. Disperse from my soul the twofold darkness into which I was born, sin and ignorance. You make eloquent the tongues of infants. Refine my speech and pour forth upon my lips the goodness of your blessing. Grant to me keenness of mind, capacity to remember, skill in learning, subtlety to interpret, and eloquence in speech. May you guide the beginning of my work, direct its progress, and bring it to completion. You who are true God and true man, who live and reign, world without end. Welcome to Old Books of Grace. I'm Dr. Grace Hammond, medievalist scholar by training, mega fan of Jane Austen since I first read Pride and Prejudice in Miss Frey's um, sixth grade honors class, and I received seven stickers on my reading chart for completing it. <laughs> Everyone was quite jealous. It was the Puffin Classics abridged version with a very fetching picture of a Georgian lady and gentleman on the cover and Pride and Prejudice in lilac lettering, and I felt very grown up reading it. Today, I am absolutely thrilled to start the Summer Old Book Club with Austin's Persuasion. And that will be the last time you'll be hearing Aquinas's prayer before study for a little while because um, these conversations are taking up a little more time and space. So I'm not going to play that prayer for you, but don't worry, you'll be hearing it again in the fall. We're not looking at persuasion today, but we're thinking about the authoress herself, the incomparable Jane Austen. Nothing helps us to read and understand a book more than a study into its author and the atmosphere in which it was written. Of course, it's not necessary. Millions have read and enjoyed persuasion without thinking for one moment about, say, the Napoleonic Wars. But we'll understand her witty, provocative writing all the more when we have some awareness about the times and places in which she wrote. So Austin was born at Steventon Rectory in Hampshire, England, on December 16th, 1775. In Lucy Worsley's wonderful biography of Austin, Jane Austen at Home, she records the words of the naturalist Gilbert White, who lived uh, very close to the Austen family in a nearby village. He writes that it was a particularly harsh winter, dark by three in the afternoon outdoors, or indoors rather, with copious condensations, that's a direct quote, running down the walls, wainscots, and looking glasses inside houses. <laughs> Can you imagine giving birth in a cold parsonage? Jane was born to Cassandra Lee Austin and George Austin, who was the village priest. The family was devoutly Anglican and rather Tory in their political sympathies. She had one older sister, Cassandra, and several older brothers. 
In the custom of the time, she was raised by a foster mother in her early years in the village. So her mother, Mrs. Austin, nursed her babies, but then sent them, once they were weaned, to spend days and nights with a nurse. Jane was very shy as a child, an acute observer of the world, and often silent, though she played with great gusto with her sister and her brothers. She was especially close to Cassandra, whom she would live with her entire life. Austin's family was not wealthy, but she did have several rich relations. She wrote from experience in books like Pride and Prejudice and Sense and Sensibility, where the daughters of the family were dependent on the charity of wealthier male family members once their own father dies. One of her brothers had the literal good fortune to be adopted by his rich aunt and uncle, like Frank Churchill and Emma, and he financially supported his sisters and mother once Mr. Austin died. When Austin grew to young adulthood, she loved a good ball and dancing. She received several marriage proposals, but never married. Though there's plenty of speculation on why, um, she even accepted one at one point only to uh, withdraw her consent the next morning, uh, presumably after a sleepless night. Um, the, one of the reasons why people speculate is that she may have had an unrequited love as a young woman for an Irishman named Tom Lefroy. Truly, though, we don't really know why. Um, Austin's trademark sarcasm and wit masks uh, a lot of her feelings in her personal letters, so it's very hard to tell. One thing, however, is clear. As a married woman running her household with children, she would have had far less time for writing and thinking, which was really important to her. There was already precious little time for such things, even in her current household, the Austins were not like the Bennets in Pride and Prejudice, who could afford a cook, as Mrs. Bennett says huffily to uh, Mr. Collins. Um, the Austins certainly had household help, but they did a fair deal of the housekeeping themselves, especially while they lived at the rectory, where they had um, livestock and a very big garden. Austin loved to write and think. From her childhood, she had been composing her clever observations of the world around her into fictional forms. In her early 20s, she wrote what would eventually become Sense and Sensibility, as well as what would also become Pride and Prejudice. They both had different titles when they began. She then wrote what would become Northanger Abbey, also under a different title. Each of these works were substantially revised over many years after their initial composition. Once her father retired from ministry, Austin moved with her parents to Bath. After her father died, she and her mother and Cassandra moved again to Chawton in Hampshire, where Austin's publishing success finally began. In 1811, after much effort and rejection, Austin published her first novel, she was 35 when Sense and Sensibility came into the world. In 1813 came Pride and Prejudice. 1814 saw the publication of Mansfield Park. And Emma was published in 1815. Fascinatingly, these were all published anonymously, only noted as being written by, quote, a lady. 
The previous works were listed as well on the title page, but no one really knew it was Austin other than her close circle of friends and family. Sadly, though, Austin's health was beginning to fail. In 1815, she started writing Persuasion, but she also began to feel weak and ill. She finished the novel in 1816. It wasn't published, though, until after her death. She died the following year in Winchester, where she and Cassandra had moved in order to be close to her doctor. Scholars think that she likely died of Addison's disease, though no one is really certain, and she was only 42 years old. The following year, her brother published Persuasion and Northanger Abbey together, finally with her name on them and a biographical note within. Her work was known as her own. But the wild success that we associate with Jane Austen's novels had not come while she lived. She died relatively poor, unknown, leaving all she had to her sister Cassandra. In Jane Austen's lifetime, England was ruled by George III. Yes, that George III. The one made infamous here in America by being the king against whom the American colonies rebelled. Much, much later, he'd be given the most hilarious songs in the popular musical Hamilton. George III was, as the website historicuk.com describes him, quote, well-meaning, which cracks me up. But he suffered from mental illness. He eventually went blind and insane. And he generally wasn't that great of a king. His son became Prince Regent, ruling in his stead in the last decade of George III's reign until his death in 1820. But the Prince Regent wasn't super popular. Um, His court was known as a place of decadence and low morals. Uh, He had a ton of affairs. But uh, this is where the title The Regency Period comes from, um, what we often call the time period of Jane Austen's novels, that decade from 1811 to 1820, though, of course, many of the novels were written earlier and take place in a slightly earlier time period. Even though the American Revolution happened during Jane Austen's lifetime, American affairs hardly affect the world of her novels. The Napoleonic Wars instead provide much of the international context of her writing, and she had French family members. We see this in Persuasion, particularly where uh, the Royal Navy is a constant backdrop. And the Royal Navy played a very important role in this set of wars, fought from 1803 to 1815. The Battle of Trafalgar, fought at sea, was a really important battle in 1805, that the British won under the famous Admiral Lord Nelson. It prevented the threat of an invasion of England. As an American, I did not really know too much about the Napoleonic Wars, except that, guess what? Napoleon's involved. In reality, these wars involved a lot of Europe due to Napoleon's ambition, including Italy, Spain, Russia, parts of Germany, Austria, and obviously France and England. Throughout Austin's adulthood, the British were periodically at war with any number of countries and allied with any other number of countries. Keep in mind, too, that the British were fighting all over the world, especially at sea, due to their rabid colonizing. 
At the time, slavery was legal in British holdings, and many prominent British gentry and nobility owned large swaths of land overseas and um, enslaved people as well. Though Austin never explicitly discusses these wars and Britain's overseas exploits, we glimpse them throughout her novels. The militias in Pride and Prejudice, for example, the discussion of the slave trade and Britain's colonies in Mansfield Park, and of course, the very prominent role of the Royal Navy and its companionable officers ashore in a brief respite between wars and persuasion. Austin herself had brothers in the Navy and took a keen interest in their lives and careers. And if you're interested in learning more details about that, Lucy Worsley's biography is very helpful um, and really goes into detail with um, Austin's relationship with her brothers. Austin lived on the cusp of a changing world, so industrialization hadn't happened yet. But the wheels were beginning to turn, so to speak. Cities were beginning to grow, villages were losing traditional sources of income, and the literary world was rapidly changing. The Regency period saw the publication of what would become some of the most famous names in English literature, like Lord Byron, Keats, Shelley, and Wordsworth. Perhaps surprisingly, the genre of the English novel was only about 50 years old when Austen was born. We can sometimes think of the form of the novel as ageless and eternal because it feels so familiar to us, but its creation was relatively new when Austen was a young woman. Austen herself would shape its form significantly, and her novels show her love for reading and her responses to current or past trends in writing, like her satirical take on the gothic genre in Northanger Abbey, or Marianne's love of weeping over the poetry of sentiment, like that of Lord Byron, in Sense and Sensibility. In 1928, the novelist Virginia Woolf wrote of Jane Austen, of all writers, of all great writers, she is the most difficult to catch in the act of greatness. I think Wolf is really right. This difficulty comes in part from Jane Austen's sidelining as specifically a writer for women or a writer of romance. Don't get me wrong, I passionately love all of the Jane Austen screen adaptations with their sweeping English countrysides, handsome male leads, romantic soundtracks, and majestic country houses. But the real stunning achievements of Austen's writing are her unmatched satirical wit and her insight into people as individuals and as members of their society. She's a writer for everyone. She's also a writer who's still accessible and readable today, despite having written 200 years ago. I'm hoping that reading Persuasion Together will open up insight into humanity, character, and of course, increasing self-knowledge and laughter around the foibles and flaws in every person. While, of course, we also enjoy the yearning between Anne Elliot and Captain Wentworth. Persuasion was Austen's last complete book, it differs from those that come before it. It's a little more jaded. The humor cuts deeper. There's a current of anger. It's a book about power and the limits of conversation and the equal power and limits of silence. 
During its composition, Austen's health failed. Her work languished undiscovered. The books simply weren't selling as they should have been. They were popular, but she wasn't making money from them. But, as Virginia Woolf wrote in that same piece, Persuasion also depicts Austen, quote, beginning to discover that the world is larger, more mysterious, and more romantic than she had supposed, just like Anne Elliot. I'm so excited to begin it with you next week. I believe Persuasion is a book meant to be read in conversation, just as Anne discovers someone who listens to her words, believes them, and acts on them. Because of that, this series won't consist of regular old books with grace lectures like this one. Instead, each week, I've invited a different friend of mine to chat. You'll be able to either listen on the podcast platform of your choice or watch a video of our conversation on YouTube. We're going three chapters at a time, and you can see the reading schedule online at oldbookswithgrace.com with my particular conversation partner on that date. Don't forget to invite a friend to read along with you and do send any questions you want covered. I would love to address them either via oldbookswithgrace.com in the comments or by emailing me at oldbookswithgrace at gmail.com. Thanks for listening in. I'm very excited to read this book together. And if you're interested, I have some sources, some helpful sources for Jane Austen and Persuasion up on the website. So check those out if you want to give them a glance. Thanks. Thanks.